Let's go ahead and pray one more time before we look at the Word together. Father, we do ask that this will be a day you would speak to all of us, all of us in this room, all of us watching the live stream. And Lord, particularly you would speak in a special way to all the moms that are here and tuned in today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many of us here today are not mothers. We're men and we'll never be mothers. But all of us were once children. And as children, we all liked to be watched, particularly by our moms. I mean, how many times did you say, hey, mom, watch this? Or, hey, mom, look at me. Hey, mom, see what I can do. We grew up like that, and no matter what goofy thing we were doing, mom would watch. And you all did some pretty goofy things. You have to admit that. Moms were faithful to watch us. But many also here today have been moms who wonder if she's ever even seen. Because there comes a point as a mom where you begin to think you're invisible. Nicole Johnson has written an article called, I Am Invisible. And I want to read part of this article. She says, it all began to make sense, the blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids would walk in the room while I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store. And inside I'm thinking, can't you see I'm on the phone? Obviously not. No one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner because no one can see me at all. I am invisible. Someday I'm only a pair of hands, nothing more. Can you fix this? Can you tie this? Can you open this? Some days I'm not even a pair of hands. I'm not even a human being. I'm a clock. What time is it? Or I'm a satellite guide to answer. What number is the Disney Channel? Or I'm a, I'm a car to order. Uh, come pick me up about 5.30. I was certain that these were the hands that once held books and the eyes that studied history and the mind that graduated. But now they all disappeared into the peanut butter never to be seen again. She's going, she's going, she's gone. I don't know if you've ever felt like that as a mom, but Tracy's told me of times when the kids were growing up that she felt like she was invisible. She felt sometimes invisible to the kids. Sometimes she felt invisible to me, invisible at church. She said even sometimes she felt invisible to God. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a mother who actually felt that way. She felt invisible to everyone around her. She even felt invisible to God. Her story is actually found in Genesis chapter 16. And the mother I want us to talk about and focus on this morning, her name is Hagar. Now, we've been doing a series entitled New Beginnings out of the book of Genesis, a book of new beginnings. And this really is a story, this story of Hagar really is a story about a mom who gets a new beginning. In fact, in her story, she gets a new beginning twice. So we'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 16. You can turn there in your Bibles or you can also look up on the screen. We'll have these verses. Genesis 16. And let's read the account. Starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Thou art a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him. Therefore, the well was called Bir la Hai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So here's the story. The story, in the story, we meet this mother by the name of Hagar. She is an immigrant from Egypt. She has no sense of belonging. She's running away from a household where her body has been used to produce the offspring for an infertile couple. And like many daughters of Hagar, this Hagar is mistreated. She's trapped in a system where she feels as though she is invisible. She has no rights, no dignity, no freedom, and no choice. And she has had enough. You know, it's very hard to be a nobody with no name. She probably was referred to by Abram and Sarai as the maid or the Egyptian. Sarai and Abram probably did not really even see Hagar as a person. She was there to serve a purpose. So at this point, it looks like Hagar doesn't know what she wants, but she's sure about what she doesn't want. She doesn't want to be treated any more like a non-person. She doesn't want to be treated like she's invisible anymore. Now, she doesn't realize what her greatest need is until she meets the God who meets her need. She names him, in verse 13, El Roy. She names God, the God who sees me. Now, I wonder, just think about that. If you met God, what would you name him? If you were to give God a name, what would you name him? Have you ever thought about that? Would you name him the God who loves me? The God who forgives me? 
know, the God of the second chance for me, the God who comforts me, the God who guides me. You ever thought about what you'd name God if you just if you met him? What would you name him? Whatever name you choose, you would choose actually probably tells a much about much about you and your need as it does about the character of God. Because really, we tend to experience God in our deepest way when we experience him in our deep need. You know, Hagar met God, and she named him the God who sees me. You know, Hagar probably felt very insignificant. She was mistreated, misunderstood. And yet, after this experience, she, is, she begins to realize that she is a significant person. Do you know that Hagar had the longest conversation with God of any woman and almost any man in the whole Old Testament? Hagar, the Egyptian maid, is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. Up to this point, God gave himself names. He introduced himself to the children of Israel as Elohim, the creator, as Yahweh, the covenant maker, as El Shaddai, the Almighty. You know, these are like, these are like vast, majestic, kind of out there names. But Hagar needs more than a vast, majestic, out there God, a God whom she had not known, but she probably heard about. What Hagar needed in her need was she needed an intimate, personal God who would meet her need. And so she says, I have now seen the God who sees me, she declares. You know, as I was reading about this story and thinking about speaking about this on Mother's Day, I, I also reflected back to another story in the New Testament I was thinking about that conversation that Jesus had with Nathaniel. Remember that conversation? Very interesting conversation. Let's just look at it again. I want you to notice it. John chapter 1, verse 43 through 50 is this conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. John 1, 43, the next day he, Jesus, purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. Now, how could this simple experience that Nathaniel had have so impacted his life that he gave that response to Jesus, that, that amazing response, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God? Well, I want to propose to you what might have led up to that conversation. Now, we don't know for sure. But I suspect something like this led up to this conversation. 
See, I believe Nathaniel, while he was sitting under that fig tree, was having a conversation with God. When Nathaniel was sitting under that fig tree, I think he was thinking about the plight of the Jewish people. Here they are, they're under Roman rule and opposition and oppression. Here they are, they're waiting for Messiah to come and change all that. That was their hope. And he's sitting under the fig tree having a conversation with God about it. And perhaps he said something like, God, don't you see this? What's happening to us? Don't you care? Don't you care about us? Don't you care about me? Do you even see me under this fig tree? And Jesus comes to him. The one who is the Messiah, the one who is the Son of God, the one who is God come in the flesh. And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. I mean, what a personal moment that was for Nathaniel. It was so impacting, so personal. It so spoke to where he was and what he was thinking. And it so revealed to him that God was hearing him and God was seeing him. That he responds the way he responds. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know, the truth for all of us today really is this truth that God sees you. God cares about you. God has a future for you. I mean, what difference does it make for me to believe that there's a God out there who sees me, who really sees me, knows me, cares about me? When I was eight years old, I was in my bedroom all by myself. The door's closed. It's dark in there. And I'm just looking up. And I could faintly see the ceiling. I, still, I remember this vividly that night. And I said, God, if you're real, I want you to make a baby chick appear in my hands. And I waited. And I waited. And no baby chick appeared. So I rolled over to my side and I went to sleep. Well, that week, interestingly enough, my folks brought me to a fair. And at the fair, there was a booth where if you could throw this, this hoop around these, the neck of a live goose, there's a live goose in this pen, if you could throw the hoop around his neck, I wouldn't allow that today. <laughs> but if you could throw a hoop around the goose's neck, you want a baby chick, a live baby chick. So I kept throwing the hoop around the goose's neck until I had seven chicks. And I brought them home, and I had them in my backyard, and I, we had a fence, and I opened up the, the container and let them out, and they're, I'm playing with the seven chicks. And it dawned on me that I'd ask God to give me a chick if he's real. Is God like that? I mean, my, that was the thing I began to question. Does God, is he like that? Is he real? Does he really care about me? And so I started to think that maybe he did. I didn't know God and I didn't know the Bible. And many years later, I discovered that there is a God who sees and knows me a God who knew me that night when I was in my bedroom praying for that baby chick. So years later, as an adult, I was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and your Father who is unseen, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So I would gotten some of it right. 
I'd gone in, I shut the door, I prayed. And I also sensed that there was someone who was unseen. I sensed it, but I never actually knew for sure that although he was unseen, he was seeing me. Now, God didn't have to give me those baby chicks, and some of you might be thinking, Gary, you're really dreaming on this one. He didn't have to do that. Neither did Jesus have to tell Nathaniel that he saw him under the fig tree. But see, we have a God that really is that personal. A God who really does see you and know every, knows everything about you and knows how to connect with you, cares that he does. You know, we have this fundamental need to be seen. It all starts off as a kid. You know, watch me, Mommy. Watch me, Daddy. As a kid, I always wanted my parents to watch me. I didn't care if someone else's parents watched me play basketball or baseball. I wanted my parents to watch me, for them to be at the game. And my dad was in the Air Force, and sometimes he was off flying, some type of an assignment. But my mom was always there. She never missed. She was always there to watch me. And this is the, my, the first, my first Mother's Day without my mom here, and I miss her. I miss her a lot. I miss her watching me. I mean, even, even as she would come sometimes occasionally into town to be here when, when, I, when I was preach, having her there, here, even as an adult, still made me a little nervous that my mom was watching me. You know, I miss her. I tell you, when I, uh, I miss her a lot. I miss her when the Golden State Warriors are playing. I can't pick up the phone and talk to her about a bad call <laughs> or a great play. In fact, I don't know how many times since she passed away, you know, I'd be watching some sporting event and I'd reach for my phone to call my mom and talk about something. And I remember that, well, she's not here now. You know, William Tamius once said, you don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time around. And his parents will wave back every time. See, why is it that we need to be seen? Why do we long for a God who sees me? I mean, what difference does it really make? See, I think it makes all the difference in the world because to be seen is to be significant. It's to know our roots. Here's what God says in Psalm 139, verse 16. He says, before I formed you, I saw you. My eyes saw your unformed body. I mean, God saw us before anybody saw us. I mean, think about that. God envisioned us into being and created us, and then after that, watches over what he creates. You know, in the words of Hillary Price in her excellent message on Hagar, she says, God's eyes are loving, and when we know that, we can relax in his presence. Then she says this, I think it's very significant. She says, to be seen is to be significant, and to be seen is to be safe. To be seen is to be significant, and to be seen is to be safe. Jeremiah 24, 6, God says, my eyes will watch over them for their good. It's just, just, that's just part of the verse, but it says so much. My eyes will watch over them for their good. Here he's talking in the context of the children of Israel. They were in exile, many miles from home, wondering, does, does God even know about us anymore? We're in Babylon. Does God even see us anymore? Maybe, 
Maybe God doesn't see us anymore. So they hung up their harps and they began to weep. But God says, no, I see you. I see you. And I'm watching over you. I still got this. And every time I would take my family, or just Tracy and I would go back to Louisiana where my, my, my dad retired from the Air Force there. And every time we'd go back to see them, we always, the, when we left, it was always the same. We'd go to the, to the truck to get ready to back out, and they would stand in the driveway. And we'd back out, and as we're backing out, they began waving, and we'd begin waving. As we backed out, and then we put it in the drive, we keep weaving, waving, they keep waving. And I always honk the same stupid honk. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and until we went around the corner waving, and we couldn't see them anymore, and they couldn't see us anymore. Same thing every time. Get around the corner, can't see him anymore. And it was like God would say, but I see him, and I see you. You know, each time we moved one of our kids after they'd grown, grown up and moved on to their next phase of life, you know, it was always hard to, and that last time you, they kind of went away, even though you knew you'd eventually see them again, when they, once you weren't seeing them anymore, that was always hard. I remember when dropping Chelsea, my daughter, who's 33 now, but when she was 18, taking her to University of Texas down in Austin and getting her all moved in. And, and after everything situated, we went and got a sandwich together, and then we came and dropped her off, and then she starts walking onto the campus, and I'm just watching her walk. And she kept looking back and waving as she walks until I couldn't see her anymore. And I tell you, I just thought, I can't see her, Lord. The Lord said, but I see her. I see her. Moms, you've got a God who sees you and cares about you. There's a beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3.17, which says, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. I mean, do you know the feeling of being quieted? with the Lord's love. I mean, just, just, just to be able to sit there knowing that he's got it, whatever it is. And we all could tell a story about our it right now. To be able to sit there and be quieted by his love that he's got you. He's got it. Second Chronicles 16.9 has always been an important verse to me. It says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. Why? So he can bash you in the head? Now, here's the rest of the verse. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I mean, I don't know if the idea of God seeing you makes you cringe or gives you courage. But for Hagar, it gave her courage. It gave her courage to go back. She goes back home, the home of Abraham. Sarah. She has a son named Hagar, and the son grows up, becomes, and as he grows up, he becomes unbearable again. So she leaves again. Let's read that story because Hagar is going to be met by God a second time. And God's going to open her eyes to see something she didn't realize was even there, which he always does. Let's read the story. Genesis 21 is where this is found. Genesis 21, starting in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, 
For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up and she left the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew. He lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point with your children where you felt like you were at the end of your resources. I mean, whatever resources we're talking about, you just felt like it had run out, and you really can't be the mom you want to be to your child. Well, that's how Hagar feels, obviously, at this point, in this situation. I mean, her son is growing up in a desert and there's no water until God provides and God opens her eyes to his provision and God strongly supports her and Ishmael and takes care of them. Now, here's the point, I think, and that is that when no one else knows and no one else sees and no one else cares, God knows and God sees and God cares. And most of us, when we look back over our lives, can pinpoint times when this became real to us. We realize that even that God was watching over us at that time, even though we didn't really realize it, that he was doing it. I can think of a time that this recently kind of hit home for me in an unusual way. After my mom passed, my dad had passed uh, years earlier, and so this is the time for me and my siblings, I have three siblings, to go through all the stuff. And there wasn't a lot of stuff. They didn't keep a lot of stuff. But we, we went through, there was always this cedar chest that was kind of like the Ark of the Covenant. You didn't go near this. You certainly didn't open it up. It was way too private for the kids to be in the cedar chest. But we got the cedar chest out. The four of us sat on the floor around it, opened it up, and started going through the letters and the things they had written to each other that they never told us about. And came across, it was before they got married, this is the letter, this is 1952, June, my dad is training to be a pilot, he's away from my mom, and my mom's name is Dolores Wookty, my dad is Ron Hutchison, so Dolores Wookty, he starts off, and my dad writes my mom a poem, I can't even imagine my dad writing a poem. <laughs> I mean, he's a strong, tough military guy, and I'm picking up, and so, hey, guys, I'm telling my siblings, Dad wrote a poem. <laughs> Everybody listen in here. Here's a little poem I wrote. It did, I did it just today. No one else helped me at all, so here's what I say. 
There is a girl, a wonderful girl, that means everything to me. I couldn't live without her. She's beautiful to see. If ever she would leave me, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be lost in a different world away from all of you. I was talking to a fellow today, and to me, said he, you'll never find another girl just like Dolores Wook D. <laughs> so I thought, wow, Dad, it's quite a poem there. So that was June. 1952, and so then we're going through the letters, and I find one November, November 1952, and I'm like, oh, this is thicker. This is really thick. And so I go through like four pages where my dad is writing. He's still at the base, training to be the pilot, and he's writing his philosophy of life, his understanding of the supernatural and God and what and being happy and all this. And he says... Uh, He basically says, you know, basically to be happy, you need to know God, he said. But then he goes on to say, that's my supernatural viewpoint. But then he says, basically, if, but if I don't have you, Dolores, how can I be happy? And then he starts to write, obviously responding to a letter that my mother had just written to him saying that she was through with the relationship. So this is a letter in response to the Dear John letter she, that he just got. So now all four of his siblings are like, we almost weren't born. <laughs> so now we're tuned in here. What did he say? What did she say? Of course, that letter got torn up, I'm sure, the letter that he got. But then he goes on to say, when I got your letter yesterday, I, all my hopes caved in completely. I know exactly the reason for your change of thinking. And if it doesn't change back, I'm coming home immediately to straighten this thing out. I don't care if I got to go AWOL and spoil all my military hopes. If I ever get my hands on that dirty, and he scratched out the word he wrote, <clears throat> that's been fooling around with you while I'm down here, I'll twist off his, he scratched out the word, <laughs> head off. Everything in my life is baked on you, Dolores. All my insides are burning with fire. I haven't said a word to anyone for two days, and they're getting on my neck about it. Since I've been back to this base, I've tried to alter my lifestyle for you to suit you. I don't even drink any beer to make any difference to you. I want you to think more than twice before you ever write a letter like that to me again. You hurt me very much when you said those things, Dolores, and it'll be a long time before I feel the same again. My feelings for you haven't changed in the least. You always mean everything to me forever. I miss you tremendously. My love for you will never die out. Please look on the subject Think on the subject plenty, darling. Look back at the many things and events since we first met. Recall every assignment, every kiss, every argument. But if, if you'll ponder it long enough, you'll see that we are, as a team, unbeat, an unbeatable combination. We should always be together, hoping. Yours always, forever, darling, Ronnie. P.S. I love you. So we all look at each other. Me and my sister's like, wow. So we're digging through trying to find any more letters to see what was going on there. But as I thought about this, I thought, you know, humanly speaking, the, f the four of us would not have been born if it didn't happen. But then you back up and you say, well, wait a second. There is a sovereign God who is, his, his providence, is, he is orchestrating and disposing of the events of all of history 
for his purposes and plans. And here's the amazing thing about the sovereignty of God, is he can give right now on the earth seven billion people free will and still accomplish his purposes. How awesome of a God is this? And God had a plan for me and my siblings to be born. And he's, and he's still orchestrating, and he's still, you know, being, he's still superseding and, 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 and controlling things. What for his purposes and his plan? And he had a purpose to make me, a plan to make me. And then after I was made, he had a plan to keep his eye on me and guide me. And the same is true for every one of us in this room, everyone live streaming. God has had a plan and a purpose for you before he made you. And he made sure it came about. He guided it to come about. And he's got a plan and he's watching and guiding over you right now. Every person he's created, he loves and he's watching over. He sees you and loves you. But even more than that, look at Psalm 32 and verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. He's watching over us. He's guiding us for our good and his glory. You know that old song, it's too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You wonder if I'd ever sing in this church. There it was right there. That's what God says. God says he can't take his eyes off you. He loves you. He sees you. And knowing that God sees you and loves you, is watching over and guiding you, what should that cause us to do? What should our response be? Our response should be Hagar's response. And that is to look back at him. She said, I have now seen the God who sees me. Look back at him. Now, there are literal eyes. Actually, you have other eyes Ephesians 1.18, Apostle Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that we'd look back at him, that we'd look back at him, that we would know him, that we would come to walk with him, you know, to trust our lives to him, to have a relationship with him. He's the God who sees us and loves us, and he just wants all he really wants, and his heart is ravished for us. All he wants is for, is us, for us to turn back and look at him with the eyes of our heart and love him and walk with him and know him. And draw close to him. And so that is the simple message for us today. For all of us, it's the message, especially for you moms. You moms that so many times are feeling invisible in all that you do, unappreciated, unnoticed. That there is a God who sees you and knows you and is crazy about you. And you just, all he really wants from you is just look back at him. And love him and trust him. Worship him. Thank him. Pray to him. Walk with him. That's what God wants for all the moms, for all of us in this room. You know, there's a song that came to mind as I was thinking about this passage. And it was that song for many years has blessed so many people, so many moms. And the song is entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow. I'm going to ask Annie, if you make your way on up here, Annie Lang is going to sing it in a moment. I'm going to have her just sing it over all of us, especially the moms here. But I want to remind you of the words of the song. Why should I be discouraged and why should the shadows fall? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. And she says, then goes on, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. These tender words I hear and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. For by the path he leadeth but one step, 
I may see his eyes on the sparrow. I know, I know he watches me. Last stanza, whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. For care, he sets me free. From care, he sets me free. Get his eyes on a sparrow. I know he watches me. So I just want to encourage you just to close your eyes and just let this, this Annie just sing this over you and just receive it now. Amen. Before I close this in prayer, I just want to say that if you are fairly new and have some questions about the church in this far corner, my left to your right, there'll be some staff that answer your questions. Also, here up front to the right where it says welcome. If you're, this is your first time, I'd love to meet you before you go, before you pick up kids or anything. So please drop by and just say hi. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we do thank you for the truths of the scriptures, the truth that just like you, your eye was on Hagar, your eyes on all of us today. We're so grateful you're watching over us, that you love us, and what you really want 
It's for us just to look back, to, re- to reciprocate and to just respond, Lord, with, from your great love, respond by loving you back and walking with you and have a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on every mom here. I pray, Lord, your blessing on every gathering here and blessing on every phone call made, every contact, every visit, that moms will be honored today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day.